Yo, what's going on? And welcome to another edition of The Hallway. It's a March 1st edition of The Hallway. So happy March to everybody. It's almost springtime. It's feeling lovely here in Indianapolis. Um, now, the last week of February, it really did not give us the best basketball, I would say. Thursday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday were kind of snooze fest. Um, but Saturday did give us a great Rockets-Celtics game. The Rockets ended up beating the Celtics by one point in Boston. Um, more to talk about the Rockets later, but right now, what I want to focus on and give some love to is Jason Tatum. He has been playing out of his mind, and I really hope the Celtics make Kimba understand when he comes back, and I think he will. He's such a great player that this is Jason Tatum's team. He He's next up. He's next to go. He's averaging 30 points per game, or he averaged 30 points per game in February. Absolute tear. He can give you anything you want, the post-up, the dribble game, the three ball. the He can finish at the rack. He can dunk. Like, he's ridiculous, man. A legit 6-8 is easy. It's, the game has slowed down for him so much offensively. That's his team. And that team now is one step closer to being able to really, really compete with the Bucks, and I think it's really because now Jason Tatum has established himself as a star. I wouldn't call him a superstar yet because, to me, we throw the superstar label out there way too much. A superstar is a guy who can go get you games in the playoffs. That's a superstar. So we have to stop calling these guys superstars who aren't at that level yet. But he is a legitimate star, all-star, and he's ascending right now. For me, he's tied with Siakam as the second best player in the East to Giannis. Um, but that's how good Jason Tatum is, and he's given Boston a different element of having a star. I know Kimba is a star too, but Jason Tatum is a different type of star. For me, I'm always going to take the bigger, stronger star over the smaller, you know, inferior. Like, don't take anything away from Kimba. But Jason Tatum can go get you a bucket in any kind of way. So this is definitely his team, and he makes Boston look different. They still need a big, though, to compete with Milwaukee. But that is a really good team out in Boston, and it's all because of Jason Tatum. And y'all know where he went. Blue Devils, we've been struggling. They need to get it together. Duke has lost two games that they could have been first in the ACC. They need to get it together. But Jason Tatum... Uh, fellow Duke Blue Devil, you know, the brotherhood is strong. So, um, up next, we're going to talk about the rest of the NBA this weekend, man. Keep it locked. It's the hallway, baby. Just as amazing as Jason Tatum was on Saturday night, and shout out to Jay Tatum doing your thing, bro. The Rockets won that game on the road. Like, no one expected Houston to go into Boston and get a W. I know I didn't. Even without Kimba, I was like, this isn't a game that the Rockets usually win. 
So for them to go in and win that game in overtime, and it honestly shouldn't even have went to overtime in Boston, is so impressive. And that's just been the trend lately with Houston. Since this trade of Capella on February 6th, the Rockets are 10-2. and two. And one loss is the shot from Bogdanovich, the three, the heave at the end of the game that dropped. And another loss was without Westbrook. That point is important because Westbrook has been playing out of his damn mind. They went small, and that has freed up everything for Russ. And since 2020, since the calendar year has switched over, Russ is averaging 33 points per game, 8 rebounds, 7 assists. And he's averaging 20 points per game in the paint for January and February. 20 points per game. That tip tip dunk he had against Boston, that tip dunk was so vicious. And he's only 6'3". Like, dude's motor never stops. And this is the perfect role and atmosphere for Russ. All this space, there's no one at the rim that can stop him. There's no one big enough, strong enough, athletic enough that can stop him on most nights. He's also doing himself a favor by cutting down on the threes. He's only averaging 2.4 threes per game, and that has helped his efficiency. And the mid-range is where he's always made his living, so I don't understand why he fell in love with the three. That's a whole nother story. Like, I just don't understand why most players fall in love. Like, the three ball isn't everything. If you can't make it, step in. Make a two. If that's automatic, why are you shooting a three ball? Because analytics tell you to do so? Anyway, this change, this small ball lineup, this shit might actually work. Like, I was a critic. I was skeptic. I was like, this is just another gimmick. But this shit might work. Now, I don't know if it's going to work enough to get them to the finals. But depending on how how high they can get, and I think they're better than Denver. I Well, let me not even say I think. I know they're better than Denver. And I think that they can get to third in the West. That means if the standings go how I think they'll go, that sets up a Western Conference semi matchup if they get out the first round with the Clippers. I believe the Clippers are a better matchup for the Rockets than the Lakers will be because the Lakers have so many athletic bigs. They're going to force the Rockets to need to go big in a seven-game series. But they can play with the Clippers. Don't get me wrong. Like, they can play with the Clippers. And so this thing is working. And Harden's down. I know Harden is averaging for the season 35 a game. He's still leading the league in, in points per game. But he's down to 29 points per game since the trade and since, well, actually since 2020. And so those two combined, those are two MVPs. What I could see them making a run. I don't know if it's enough to get them to the finals, but this system has been very, very impressive so far. And (laughs) it's making D'Antoni and Maury look like some damn geniuses, so... We'll see going forward with Houston, but I have been impressed with this team since this trade, and let's see if they can keep it going. Speaking of keeping it going, that train in Milwaukee and that monster that is Giannis is just just keeps going, man. It's to another level, man. 
This team is 50 and 8. 50 and 8 and they don't they still don't get the credit that they deserve for this 50 and 8. They can do everything. They they have Giannis. Let's just start with the obvious Giannis. So this week and we're just going to go this week going into March, he's still looking like the MVP of the league. It looks like another MVP of back-to-back year for Giannis. In three games this week, Giannis is averaging 30 points per game, 17 rebounds, and six assists. Come on, man. Come, It's getting real easy. And if he starts to hit this jumper, it's a wrap. It's a wrap. There's nothing that the league can do. This is his for the foreseeable future. And I'm not even talking about a three ball, just a little 15 to 18 footer. If he can get a jumper like as consistent as like LaMarcus Aldridge or something like that, that type of jump shot, are you telling me that Giannis won't be the most dominating player we've ever seen? But the question is still, can they finish it off? We know Giannis can put up these numbers. We know Giannis can score 41 and 20 against the Charlotte Hornets. 41 and 20. Six assists. But can he finish it off? Can he can he get them to the finals? And I don't think it's Giannis. There's not one player in the Eastern Conference that is named Kawhi Leonard and can stop Giannis from doing whatever the hell he wants to do. So Giannis, this this isn't going to change. This, we're going to see more of this in the playoffs. It's about can those others be effective? Can those others, Chris Middleton, those others, Eric Bledsoe, those others, George Hill, Brooke Lopez, can they consistently make shots? Can they come to play in April, May, and possibly June? Me personally, out east, I think they will. Chris Middleton is so low-key, and he's an all-star, and a lot of people would be like, oh, well, no, it's just you. No. No, no, no. He got that. Go check his numbers. He's averaging 20 points per game, 50, 40, 90. 50, 40, 90, 20 points per game. Those numbers are sick. That's a great defensive team. They have all the wing defenders that you can ask for. From the athleticism of Dante DiVincenzo to Chris Middleton can defend. They they went and got Marvin Williams. He can defend. That's a long team. Brooke Lopez is in a defensive player of the year conversation. Like, that is a really good defensive team. They're athletic. They can shoot. They have Giannis. There's not a collection of talent out there that can stop Milwaukee from getting to the finals. So, for them not to get to the finals would be a epic, epic failure. And not only would it be an epic failure, the heat is on. The pressure's on. He's a free agent in a couple years. I think it's actually after next summer. The pressure's on. Because you know if they lose, he's not going to sign that extension. So, it's important. It's imperative for the Bucks to get to the finals, and I think they will. At this point, going into the first week of March, the Bucks are heads and shoulders the class of the Eastern Conference. And the only team that can beat them is themselves. So we'll see. A couple more months. Don't get me wrong, though. It's not like the East is Milwaukee and only Milwaukee. 
now, if somehow Toronto or Boston, and I think those are the two next best two teams in line, if they somehow were able to get past Milwaukee, they would give both L.A. teams, Houston, whoever comes out the West, they would give them fits and damn near win the chip. So those are two quality teams. They just can't mess with Milwaukee. I'm sorry. Um, But let me transition to this. So as exciting as the top half of the NBA is, and it's it's not as wide open as we thought, but it's a lot of fun. Probably the most exciting part and something I feel like I talk about every week is the rookie of the year race, and it just continues to heat up. Um, ja had a big bounce back performance last night. He got motivated. He got motivated 27 and 14 uh, against the Lakers Saturday night. Um, I'm not sure what was going on with the Lakers. I'm not sure how game they were in Memphis, but Ja definitely bounced back with the game that the Grizzlies dearly needed to win. Um, the Pelicans are on their coattails. And the reason I bring that up in this conversation is because normally it's like the MVP and things like that, that the record matters. The rookie of the year usually is just all about the numbers because you're usually generally on an awful team. Not this year. These two teams are legit. Memphis and New Orleans are legit. And I think the records might play a big part in this. With Zion, though, not only is is the, there's the question of has he played enough games? For me, the games do not matter. It's about what you do in those games. And they made up five games like that. Seriously, since he's been back, they were about five and a half back. They're two and a half back going into the game tonight against the Lakers. Zion, of course, we all know about the 20 point per game streak, like 10 straight games of 20 points per game to start his career. By the end of this season, I wouldn't be surprised if he's around 25 and eight, eight and a half rebounds, you know, right there in the thick of things. Jaws averaging 17 and seven. So the numbers are there for both players. So this is why I think the first this is the first year that the rookie of the year race is really going to be dependent on that record. And I even think if the Pelicans can get it to a game, game and a half and they fall short, I would be okay with co-rookie of the years. And I think that's more than likely what's gonna happen anyway, because Zion is just he has an aura with within himself. But it's important to note that if the Pelicans come back and get this A spot and the and they go to the playoffs and Zion will be the main reason why, you have to give him rookie of the year. I don't care if he only played 50-something games. He's rookie of the year. So it's important to note that the Grizzlies have the first, the number one hardest strength of schedule going forward, and the Pelicans have the 29th hardest. So two and a half games back. It's going to be interesting for not only the A spot, but the rookie of the year, because those two are the front runners. And whoever gets that A spot should be an interesting matchup with the Lakers. Should be pretty fun. So excited to see that going forward. So on to the team that the Grizzlies beat on Saturday night and the Los Angeles Lakers. And that game to me is an anomaly. It was just one of those games there in Memphis just it didn't really matter. They're already five and a half games up in the standings above the Clippers, who have now took over second place with their win against the Sixers on Sunday. For me, it's just 
until someone shows me that they are better than the Lakers, they're not. The Rockets, that small ball, that's not going to work against the Lakers. The Lakers are too big and too athletic. It's not going to work. I promise you. It'll be over in five. Guarantee it. Book it. Now, the only other competition there, because the Nuggets, the Lakers have proven time and time again that the Nuggets are not what they seem to be, and they're doing exactly what I thought. That 32-point loss against the Clippers on Friday, yeah, dropped them down a third. So we know that the Nuggets are not competition to the Lakers. The only team left is the Clippers, and this is what everybody wants. It's clear-cut and obvious, as open as this season may have seemed at the beginning. It closed down and narrowed really fast. And we know what the cream of the crop looks like in the Western Conference. And it resides in L.A. So it will be an all-L.A. Western Conference Finals. I have no doubt in my mind about it. There's not a team out West that can compete with the Lakers outside of the Clippers. And only the Rockets have a legitimate chance in my eyes to even make it competitive with the Clippers. Like, I just don't see the Clippers faltering. They may go six, seven. Like, that may happen, but I just think that they have too much for all those other teams out West. So it's down to the obvious, too. And for me, the Clippers have started to come on. Like, I've been, I'll give them their credit. They're starting to get it into gear at the right time. Seven and four in their last 11 games. Like I mentioned, they just beat Denver by 32 points at home. Um, They ran into a game like the Sixers were really game. Shout out to Shake Milton, the dopest nickname in the league, Shake Milton. Uh, He had a crazy game. I think he had like 36. Um, And the Clippers, they didn't play very well in the beginning of the game. But they turned it on defensively at the end. And they won it defensively, what you would expect. But it's easy to beat a Joel Embiid-less, Ben Simmons-less Sixers team. Hell, they can beat them while they're there. It's hard when it's May and everything's on the line in, in game two. It's a lot of mouths to feed on that team, man. It's a lot of dudes who feel like they can get it done. That that chemistry isn't everything that you think it's going to be. Like, it's going to be some dudes that want to get it done. So, that's very interesting to see. And for the my people out here who continue to just be like, oh, the Clippers are better than the Lakers because they beat them twice before All-Star break. Kudos to them. But we all know the season don't start until after All-Star break. And there's two matchups after All-Star break, and we get a real chance to see – both teams with all their complements of players. The Morris brothers are interesting because, for me, it's honestly a blessing in disguise that we got Markeith, that the Lakers got Markeith Morris. Now, he's not as talented as, as his brother, but the Lakers' chemistry is just as important as the production on the court. That chemistry is unmatched in the league, and I think he fits seamlessly onto that team, and he – Feels the same role, 3 and D. So, I'm so happy that that happened for the Lakers and they were able to get another wing defender to help and another shooter to help that the only 
issue that I feel like they still need to clear up is that backup point guard position is concerning, but minutes shrink in the playoffs. LeBron will be playing extended minutes, so I'm not as concerned as I was in the beginning of the season. So what's the indication that the Clippers are that much better than the Lakers? I understand that they beat them twice before All-Star break, and we all know the season doesn't start until after All-Star break. So they have another chance. They have two more chances to prove that they are indeed better than the Lakers. But the Lakers have done nothing but crush narratives all season long. Oh, they can't shoot. Oh, well, they, they look pretty fine to me. They can't defend. They don't have enough defenders. They They look okay to me. LeBron is washed. LeBron looks like the best version of himself in a couple years. And speaking of LeBron, I don't understand why Kawhi gets so much credit. And I like Kawhi. I think he is a great player. He's there's this is no disrespect to Kawhi, but it's just a testament to the 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 narrative that is placed on LeBron and I don't understand. I think it's cuz he's in direct competition with Jordan but I don't understand why Kawhi gets praise for taking a better Toronto team and I, I know that they won the championship no KD Clay gets hurt in game six that team is a shell of themselves while he's playing alongside Kyle Lowry Kyle Lowry is better than anyone on the current Lakers roster right now and he's better than anyone on that 2018 Cleveland roster right Pascal Siakam is a star, right? But Kawhi gets credit for dragging, and he didn't drag because that team, look at Toronto now, they're 41-17 and 17 without him. He took that team plus Danny Green and won a championship. LeBron drug, drug, literally drug in a motherfucking sack. He drug that Cleveland team in 2018 to the finals. Against KD, Steph, and Clay. KD had both his legs. Clay had both his knees. He scored 51 points, but he don't get no credit for that. The East was weak. It's always a narrative with LeBron. And that's the most frustrating thing with it because I'm not a LeBron stand by any means. I just recognize greatness. And I just don't understand why he doesn't get the credit that he deserves. And I think that's happening now with the Lakers while they're atop the West and the Clippers are second. It's just another narrative to bring LeBron down as the kids in my neighborhood run through the hallway. I haven't made it yet, people. I'm still in the hood, man. So we'll see. First week of March, we're inching closer and closer to the playoffs and getting all those burning questions answered. Like I tell you, man, I promise I'm not lying to you. I'm going to be with you every step of the way. Until next time, people. It's the hallway.